G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. What's different in farming is that you also can have a direct operated model, meaning that you will rent, uh, you will contract out your farm to a farm management company or family, and you as an investor have full risk of the budget, meaning that um, the inputs the costs are all yours, but all the profit is yours. So that's the kind of the gamut that the returns run. And farmland as an asset class returns anywhere between six to call it 10, 11%, which is actually quite good when you compare it over the last 30 years to equities, to bonds, to gold. It has outperformed most, most asset classes. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, the pleasure of chatting with Artem Milinchuk. Artem is the founder of Farm Together, an investing platform which focuses primarily on farmland and agricultural investing. Farm Together owns 40 deals across six states in 13 different crop types. And prior to founding Farm Together, Artem was the number one employee and CFO, VP of Operations at Full Harvest Technologies, a platform for buying and selling produce. He previously worked at Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, ENY, and PWC. I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible insight and knowledge. But enough out of me, let's get him out here. 
Atom, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Doing well, Reeve. Uh, great to be here. Mate, it's absolutely great to have you here. And we're going to talk about a really interesting topic that I don't actually think I've covered in nearly nine and a half years of doing this podcast. I've never spoken about farm investing or farmland investing. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But before we do, can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? Oh, man, yeah. Uh, let's see. I think it was in seventh grade. My family is one of the first one to have a computer and buy a printer. And this was back in Russia where I grew up. And uh, me and a couple of my mates, we started creating this little kind of summary pages of key topics and sort of, I guess, the early clip notes. <laughs> and we're selling them for like some ridiculously cheap amount that barely covered the price of ink. And definitely didn't, it was not a profitable business, but it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. And walk us through the story. You mentioned Russia. So tell us about the immigration story and how did you come to the US? Yeah, you know, it was uh, kind of wild to think about it these days, but I was born in, not even Russia, but Soviet Union. So in mm-hmm. the 80s. And then Soviet Union collapsed, Russia happened. Um, I moved to Canada in 2007, but I was born and raised in Russia, went to university there. My first couple of jobs at NYPWC were in Russia and the, I know we'll get into it, but the early inklings of what I wanted to do in life and this special attachment to food and farmland came from those late 80s where almost everyone had the still plots of land and that's because the government couldn't really support its population so you had to grow your own food and with my parents and grandparents we would work the food in the summer, the, the land, so we would have the food in the winter and that's what gave me this early appreciation for the timelessness of food and farmland. Yeah, that's it's an interesting thing because a lot of people don't think about how products are, are made. You know, particularly produce is you know arrives on our shelves. And it sounds like back in the day, back in before the fall of the Soviet Union, probably even probably after this, the fall, that you guys were having to cultivate your own essentially produce off the land, right? You you truly were living and breathing. Truly living and breathing. Eggs, meat, you know, yeah, wheat. chicken, eggs, uh, potatoes was the main one, yeah, and then veggies. And uh, you know, my grandma, she would uh, uh, preserve uh, strawberries, mix them with sugars, so would have this you know, jam in the winter, so so good, yeah. <laughs> so, then what was the decision to move to Canada? What, what, why did you want to move to uh, north of the border? I think it was a desire to be in a much more global and multicultural environment. So I moved to Toronto and Toronto is kind of like US and Canada, it's a big melting pot for people from all over the world coming here. It's a very young city as well. And I also, I was in finance economics, I'm still am. I wanted to be in a city that had a global forward looking view of finance and economics in Moscow, despite at the time being a rapidly growing financial center not be compared, of course, to North American places like Canada, US, for finance. Mm, interesting. And, and did you just on a whim get on a plane and come, or did you have a visa? Did you so my, any, uh, any romantic stories? Unfortunately, <laughs> not. Uh, it was a uh, a mix of having some family friends in Canada already, and Canada having a very accommodative system if you already spoke English, which I did, if you had a higher education. So they have, I think maybe had still have a point system. They mm-hmm. would look at, you know, how how valuable are you to Canada? And so our family, I guess, was valuable enough to 
had the the cut and we came in in yeah 2004 to 2007. Yeah, right. And are you currently still in Canada today or are you back here in the States? Uh, I'm based in the States since 2016-17. I am in Portland, Oregon. Mm. And talk to us about that immigration because obviously, you know, you're moving from Russia to North America, being Toronto, obviously, for those people out there who have never gone through visa issues in your entire life, the US is one of the hardest countries to get into, <laughs> but Canada is. is a little bit more uh, accommodating. Uh, so was there always a desire to come to the US at some point? Absolutely. I think it's the same thing of just wanting to be in the place where magic happens and where the cutting edge of your profession is. I think for me, it's always been really important to be the best at what I do. And uh, mm. around 2015-16 is when the idea of perform together really crystallized, but I was not ready yet to start it. So I was very fortunate to join a startup of my friend from business school. I went to UPenn in the United States in 2010, 2012. So my friend started a company that is adjacent to what we do now at Farm Together called Full Harvest, which is that uh, marketplace for fruits and vegetables. And she was based in San Francisco, so I joined her there. California is, of course, the largest producer of fruits and vegetables in the U.S. and in some way globally. Uh, so I came there and then I laid on state because, again, this is where the U.S. is still very much the land of magic, the land of dreams. And uh, despite me being hard luck, I think all the, the most curious, interesting, ambitious people, they come to the United States and it's just a phenomenal place to build a business. Yeah, well, and, and talk to us about the early days of Full Harvest, right? Was it was that, that was the first? I mentioned earlier you're the the VP of operations, so you're probably belly the beast, first employee. You know that startup culture, just every, you know, no systems in place. So how did that help you? You know, go on to create Farm Together, and and, and was Farm Together already in the back of your head, or was it, you know, something that was was born out of you know working in Full Harvest? It was in the back of my head, um, but I was not ready as an entrepreneur to strike out on my own quite yet. Mm. Uh, my 10 years before Full Harvest was spent investing in, in food and agriculture on behalf of Canadian investment funds. Mm. So I joined Full Harvest exactly as first employee at the time. It was just uh, myself and the founder, Christine Modley, who I met through business school. And the basic idea of Full, Har uh, Full Harvest is really brilliant. It still is. About a third of produce is thrown out and wasted at farm level in the United States for a variety of reasons. And most of those reasons are not good reasons. So what Pulharva does is that they connect farmers that have that number two produce directly to buyers that don't care what your apples look like. So who are those buyers? Juice companies, baby food, pet food. So anything that processes your, your apple, your zucchini um and i spent about a year there uh, really helping stand up the company fundraising hire the team that a financial model so just exactly being in the belly of the beast and i think the biggest lesson for me was not the professional aspect to so call it the business aspects but it was the mental aspect seeing how christine just persevered through so many ups and downs and in early stages it feels like every day you're at the verge of dying uh, and she just kept powering through and she still is powering through many years later. So I think for me, that was the biggest inspiration is just seeing firsthand what it means to grind through. And to this day, I believe that's one of the biggest lessons for me and for life and business in general is 
the people that win, they're not necessarily the smartest or the most creative or the most something. It's the people that just have the raw pain tolerance to keep going no matter what. Right. No, I think that's exactly right. Perseverance and showing up is... 90% of the battle. Yes, sir. You know, so it's, 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 it's so, so important. But but let's pivot and talk about Farm Together because I have a little bit of a background in, not a background, I've, I've had a delved into the farming world from an investment point of view as a sort of third party. You know, I, I raised a little bit of capital for a hemp farm uh, in Denver. Um, but just break down what Farm Together is as a platform. Absolutely. So at a most basic level, it's a way for people to invest in farmland and for farmers to get access to more creative capital options than exist for them before Farm Together started. And I'll break it down. So first, just very simply how it works. How do farms make money? It's very similar to real estate in that you make some portion of your returns from price appreciation of land. Historically, in the United States, in the last 50 or so years, land appreciated on average by 5.9%. Secondly, you make current income from rent or harvest. So same as real estate, you rent it out to a tenant. Sometimes it's a fixed lease. Sometimes if it's retail, you also get a percentage of the revenue. Um, what's different in farming is that you also can have a direct operated model, meaning that you will rent, uh, you will contract out your farm to a farm management company or family, and you as an investor have full risk of the budget, meaning that um, the inputs, the costs are all yours, but all the profit is yours. So that's the kind of the gamut that the returns run. And farmland as an asset class returns anywhere between six to call it 10, 11%, which is actually quite good when you compare it over the last 30 years to equities, to bonds, to gold. It has outperformed most, most asset classes. I think the only one that hasn't outperformed that might be changing is, is the REITs. But mm -hmm. last couple of years haven't been gentle to the REITs in the United States, especially commercial ones. So I think farmland might be edging there. Um, and then on the volatility side, which is a way to measure risk, and there's two ways to measure risk, but the one is volatility. Farmland is about 7%, which is comparable to bonds, much lower than real estate. Uh, and then another way to think about risk, which is, I think, how our grandparents would think about it, which is, am I going to lose money? And the beauty of farmland as an asset class, but look, yeah, absolutely way to lose money. But generally, when we look at the index, there's only been two quarters when the index went down. And overall, because of the fundamental trend in population growth, they don't make land anymore, improving diets, you have a very strong long-term trend towards appreciation of land values. So unless you're putting on debt or you screwed up your water underwriting, you typically will not lose money on farmland, especially over a 10-year period. And then, Reed, I know I've been speaking for a bit, so one last point and then I'll shut up. Uh, but another way you can lose money, and this one is really important for today's environment, you can lose money in real terms. So inflation. I think we, in the last 20 years, forgot inflation exists. And then welcome to today. The farmland has done really well in periods of high inflation. And overall, it performs, at least historically, has performed really well as an inflation hedge. Uh, and that is because partially, again, I just like, after having done 
bachelor's, master's, and then being finance, I like to come back to explaining things like you find. So, <laughs> uh, if there is a fixed amount of land and there's now more money printed, well, mechanically, uh, land prices will go up. But then secondly, land, uh, farmland goods compose hundreds of items in the EPI. It's the food, fuel, feed, and fiber. So the, besides the, you know, your almond milk or your corn, dog, um, the, there's a lot of derivatives that are made out of um, farm products, ethanol being one of them, of course. So there's just a lot of great things going on with farmland that you don't have in any other asset class. And so that's why we advocate strongly for people to, of course, depending on the portfolio, but a few percentage points to be allocated to farmland. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you will automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. When you talk about the risk, you mentioned a few things, and I grew up on a small hobby farm in Australia um, where we didn't have, we had a dam and we had, we had rain capture. Water to me is the number one thing that I don't think people, particularly here in the United States, particularly in Southern California where I live, take it for granted. Right. Water to me is such a commodity that is discounted um, and given away because they think it's, it's, you know, it's endless, but it's not. It has a finite amount of it. So you mentioned underwriting water. How much of a risk does that play into the overall success of a farm? And, and if you, you know, as you mentioned, if you stuff it up or get it wrong, you know, what are the sort of what could what could eat you? Yeah, and uh, I think you've been in Southern California probably We'll have a special appreciation for it because we seem to always go in California through this period of uh, drought. And then this year, people follow that we have almost a flood. And that's normal for California, by the way. This California has gone through those uh, periods for hundreds of years. It does not prevent California from having a $40 billion agricultural economy, which, by the way, is the fifth largest in the world if California was a country. It just speaks again to the the enormous size that U.S. is and that California is. But to answer your question, water is a key factor when you're underwriting what's called permanent crops. So in our case, it's your tree nuts, it's your citrus, it's your apples. Water is a different beast when it comes to underwriting uh, what's called grow crops. So this is your corn, your soybeans, uh, because in a lot of places in the say Midwest or Illinois, you get so much water from the sky that you have a different issue. <laughs> water is staying on the farm. So what you need is to invest into tiling and drainage to get the water out of your farm. Um, but in the case of West Coast, uh, Oregon, California, Washington are the states that have 50 billion plus in uh, agricultural commodity production. And underwriting for water means to have a really good understanding of water availability now and in the future. And it is a very complicated endeavor. One of the edges that Farm Together has is that we have an institutional investment team that has spent decades investing in ag, has seen it all, and um, 
we use a lot of tech as well to rapidly and smartly think through all the interactions that happen in California's 200 plus water districts. And for those who don't know, every water district is a legal entity that regulates in its geographic and administrative uh, borders how water is allocated. And then guess what? Water doesn't work in your administrative ways. It falls from the sky, there is a river or the snowfall. So you also have to think how it relates to different water rights on river basis, on canal basis, on groundwater. So it is a fascinating Byzantine uh, system that we have to work through when we underwrite. So I don't want to, we could have a full podcast just on that. Suffice to say that if you're investing in land, make sure that you trust, because you probably, like, I'll just be, I'm not trying to talk down, but you probably will not on your own understand water. So you have to trust the people that are underwriting water for you. No, 100%. I think that's, you've just given people a very small needle end tip I view of how complex water rights are across, not only across the US or across California, but across the globe, right? And people go to war uh, over oil and they go to war over water at some point in the future. So Egypt and, and Ethiopia, if you mm-hmm. Google them, they're dealing right now with a dam. And then Australia actually has a very developed water market, very impressive for you guys, but uh, it's another big agricultural country, mm-hmm. phenomenal uh property rights, same as the United States, and uh, yeah, quite a sophisticated water market, more advanced than California. Any tips or tricks just to, as you're looking at that trust factor to know that the water's buttoned up and you can trust it? Like what, what, what are you gonna look for? So oftentimes, just as a checklist, you wanna make sure that there's two sources of water. And that typically means uh, groundwater and access to a river or a canal. But that is not always the case. Uh, for example, with Sacramento River in California, access to that river is oftentimes can be as good as having two sources of water. Um, the other thing you can do is uh, check what water district you're in, and then you can see if the water district has been, if we're talking about California, has been certified or approved by the state under what's called the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act or SIGMA as GMA. So you can see, uh, you know, is that uh, what a district approved for that? But, um, you know, Reed, when we launch our deals and a lot of them are in California, we're very comfortable, very bullish in California, despite what the headlines sometimes scream about, oh, in a drought. Now, no one's screaming that now all our reservoirs are maybe at capacity when you do flush them down the, the ocean. Um, we, we talk about water in our slides. We explain it really clearly. Um, and generally, I think, um, you know, the we feel quite confident in our water underwriting. And then look, lastly, farmland, one farm just as anything else, anything can happen, right? So diversifying across different crops, different geographies is something that we recommend. Uh, and it's a way to diversify from the water risk, but to diversify in general. Yeah, no, that, and that's a great segue into my next question is, you, in my intro, I think I mentioned 16 different crop types. So what crops do you like to focus on for one, only yield, mm-hmm. but two, maybe it's drought resistant, and three, it might be sort of, uh, I, I, I think of the I think of avocados, right? Like I remember growing up and I was born in the late 80s and, you know, avocados weren't a thing. Now everywhere you see, it's like, 
it's avocado on toast. So like, it, you know, crops come and go. Brussels sprouts obviously is another great crop that like was historically hated by so many people, but now through different cooking yep. standards, people love it, right? So what crops do you choose? And is there, do you, do you have like a sort of a bar, uh, an invest box to make sure you're buying or investing in the right crop? Absolutely. So, um, and the, the boring answer is it depends, but I'll give the fun answer first. We do like corn and soybean, like vegetables, and we like permanent crops that are, that have competitive advantages being grown in the United States. So, for example, almonds, 80% of almonds are produced in California and I'm in global production. Well, there is a very strong marketing board because remember, uh, at the end of the day, there is a marketing component to it. You know, we we had this get got, got milk campaign, and then recently, I think Aubrey Plaza of the Parks and Rec and other mm-hmm. fame uh, went out and you know drinking anything but real milk is like eating cardboard or wood. So you wood, get the wood, yeah. very fun um, uh, fights between different uh, product groups. Uh, what's important to remember is that. Agriculture is the oldest asset class. Food is not new. Uh, almonds, we've been eating them for thousands of years. Walnuts, 5,000 years. So this is not something that's radically different. We're not creating crazy new foods. Um, so we are fairly bullish on a lot of different product types. Again, we focus on the ones where U.S. has an edge. Um, so corn, soybean, U.S. is one of the lowest cost producers. Almonds, I mentioned. Uh, apples, U.S. is phenomenal. There's so many different varieties of apple. Um, Right now we're looking at pecans. It's a new kind of, and the new almond. Uh, a lot of good things happening. Pecans, very healthy nut. Hazelnuts, U.S. is uh, becoming a large producer, competing with Turkey, which is the biggest hazelnut producer in the world, competing both in quality as well as in how we treat our farm workers, how we treat our soil. There's a lot of issues when we you know, think about production of hazelnuts in Turkey. Um, so every crop has its own story. Uh, but again, the uh, major trends are Population growth, improving diets, right? You're going from a diet that is very much soybean, potato-based, right? If we're talking about poor countries to becoming Corn. a very diversified, rich diet that's much richer in that, in fruits and vegetables, in, in, in citruses. You're also moving to organic, right? Because, um, look, I, I know I'm going to ruffle some feathers, but I will say this, like organic tastes better. And I'm not saying that uh, growing conventional is bad. We grow tons of conventional, but... Uh, there is certain, I think, taste and health benefits, nutritional benefits, and more organic ones. And then some other trends that are only emerging is uh, regenerative farming, taking care of soil using uh, less than fertilizing pesticides so that you can more proactively integrate the local ecosystem. Um, I think there's something about the soil and growing in a healthy, vibrant soil that gives a certain flavor and high nutrient density to to your produce. Um, so like I said, it's boring out in the sense that it depends, but I, maybe if we do another one of this and we can dive deeper in all the different crops and geographies. No, it, it's, it's an interesting thing because um, I do know, again, basic freaking farming uh, is that some crops are good to re-germinate the soil when you're bringing in other crops, and and for those people, I'm not trying to get too geeky right now, but I happen to grow up riding horses in back in the day, and next to sugarcane, and sugarcane was a you know was was a, a crop near where I lived, and I'm trying to remember what they did to regenerate the soil, but there's there's different crops that you can bring in for a season or two seasons to regenerate the soil yes, to help sir. you know produce 
a better quality product, and I'm, but but you would know the better uh, answer to that. But what crops are they that you need to sort of invest in that that can help regenerate the soil to your point of like soil regeneration and and water capture and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few different ways in which uh, you can invest in the soil, and uh, it it's good both for uh, of course the environment, but also as you keep investing in soil, it gets richer and richer, which means better yields, which means uh, less fertilizer and, and more uh, sustainable long-term uh, life of the farm. And typically our farms are 10 a year, 11 year old, sometimes longer. So we are definitely long-term investors. Uh, a few different things you can do. So cover cropping, uh, clover sometimes is, is um, planted peas to fix nitrogen, rotating corn and soybeans, uh, up to plant soy, I think up to plant soybeans or corn. I don't remember which one right now, but the other one then grows better. Yep. Um, then there's uh, small things you can do. For example, uh, we had an investor that was really passionate about bird migration. So leaving a few trees on your farm, right? It maybe gives you half an acre, but then the birds have nowhere to be. Uh, sometimes around the edges of your farm, you'll have little like ditches and canals, and that's where all the little critters live. So looking at the environment and what is the local ecosystem and just you know, design your farm a little bit more to have more of that diversity. Um, it's also just honestly, when you go there, it's fun for the workers. If you have a, a little house there or something, which sometimes those farms do, right? Um, it's just, it's nice uh, when you even drive by it. I think that's something about remembering that um, we're humans and building to human scale. Uh, one of my side passions is urban architecture, which is kind of <laughs> get balanced with my agricultural uh passions and uh, the countryside and i think that's something about the core philosophy of coming back to building at human scale when you go to old you know european cities for example and uh all all the cities in the us uh, the cobblestones and it just feels somehow more human and mm. bringing that back to farming while also keeping in mind you know you are still trying to feed the world and most people don't have the wealth that us has uh, you've got to balance those two things um yep. but again could be a whole separate podcast we're happy to do on regenerative organic agriculture we, <laughs> i'm sure we're going off a lot of tangents here but they're interesting tangents because it's all around to your, your, your regenerative process but let's talk a little bit about the numbers here you mentioned earlier uh, i think you said six to eleven percent annualized was that correct That's or right. uh uh, for, for, for returns, are you getting cash flow from these deals out of the gate or does it take a couple of years to get the farm up 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 to speed, uh, so to speak? And, and I think it's the second question is, are you trying to cultivate or invest in deals to help? Like, like we, we buy multiple multifamily properties to sell as a portfolio in the future individually. We, we want to package them up. Do you do the same thing with farming and you buy individual parcels to then you know hopefully you know, they may the, the, the crops that complement one another um or do you just sort of more one off and if the if the if the deal makes sense you'll invest in it the short answer is all of the above we invest in all kinds of different deals so back to the cash flow do you cash flow from day one it depends on the farm some farms yes okay. some farms can be a development deal that may take five six years to cash flow the returns on those deals are typically better Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Look, at the end of the every show, like I, I could speak to you for, for hours and hours. I'm not to get you back, but uh, I know you're, you're, you're short on time here. But at the end of every show, we'd like to dive in the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yes, sir. 
Mate, your daily habits. Tell me what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? There's one new habit I've developed that has been really good. And I don't mean to sound like a bit of a douchebag, but uh, taking cold showers in the morning has been magical. <laughs> awesome. You're, I'm sure meditation would be on that list as well. Meditation. Um, that one is difficult. Uh, I'd love to say um, I'm good at it, but I'm not. Uh, that one is a struggle, although it seems like there's a lot of benefits when I can stick with it. Uh, I started reading the Daily Stoic quotes by Ryan Holiday. Mm -hmm. I think it's a wonderful philosophy that everyone from, of course, you know, the ancient Roman emperors to modern uh, leaders like General Mattis of the you know, Marine and Secretary of Defense Spain. Uh, it's just something about uh, do your best and may the chips fall where they may. And especially in farming where you cannot predict the weather, right? So many different things happen. You have to adopt a long-term philosophical mindset. I love it, and one that was one thing. One question I would, we'd, we'd have to get into next time you get on the show is, is uh, you know, global warming and how that affects. But 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 we're at, we're at the lightning round. So question number two is, who's been the most influential person in your career to date? I would say it's been my uh, my mentor and uh, my mentors and bosses at Ontario Teachers Pension Fund. I can't separate them. It's three of them that I worked with. Uh, ex extremely thoughtful passionate and compassionate leaders uh, in the investment space. They taught me, I think, everything I know about investing and about approach to life. Um, so I'd have to pick the, yeah, them. That's great. Question number three is, in what, uh, what is the most influential tool in your business? And when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a journal or a phone, or it could be a piece of software that you can't run the business without. What is it? I hate to say it, but Zoom is great. <laughs> I, right. And I, I, I hate to love it, but we are fully remote team. We have to be because we're in farming and guess what? Farms are not located in one city. And there's actually not that many great investors in farming. So we have to make sure that people we hire in our team is everywhere. Um, but yeah, Zoom has been really helpful. That's awesome. Uh, question number four is, what's been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? And I would say it's not one necessarily big failure, but a lot of small failures in farm together around early days of starting, not being able to hire the right people or raising capital. So it's just, uh, uh, you know, we come back to perseverance where um, I think the, the biggest lesson is not to view failures as failures, but as feedback. At the end of the day, it's either your idea is wrong, you did something wrong, the person is just not interested. But if you have a North Star and profit, one that we'd never have to doubt, right? We're helping to feed the planet. We're helping to do it sustainably. We're helping the farms grow food. Like you never wonder if you're doing something meaningful in life when you're farming. Uh, and so for me, it's always been the nostalgia that I know in my bones that what we're doing is valuable to society. And so the failures are just, well, this path didn't work. Let me try another one. I come back to this human Edison story. I found 10,000 different ways how a light bulb doesn't work. <laughs> Uh, I think that's the main lesson. It's just uh, adjust and keep going. Yep, pivoting all the time. Adapt and, and overcome. Yeah, no, and I think what you mentioned earlier about you know 
doing your best and uh, where the chips let the chips fall where they'll fall because some things are sometimes out of your control. And as a entrepreneur, you want to control everything, right? As a you know, particularly in investing space, but you you, you can't sometimes. No. The, the market will be the market, and the environment will be the environment, and you know, walls will break out across the globe, and we can't you know that will impact your investment, and sometimes things are out of your control. And um, so yeah, definitely, that's a great great piece of advice for people. Uh, mate, last question: Where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? farmtogether.com i would say pit stop number one we have a ton of great education materials webinars you can chat to our client team as well we love talking to potential client and then if you want to reach out to me personally i'm at artem a-r-t-e-m at farmtogether.com i still read all my emails uh, i i think it's uh, endlessly fascinating what we're doing and it's great to talk to people that are interested in farm investing or in working with us as farmers or something else in between. So yeah, our time at uh, farmtogether.com. Awesome stuff, my friend. Look, I just want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your week to jump on the show. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away. I, 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 I in general, have the same philosophy as you do about feeding the globe and doing it in a sustainable way. Obviously, the the world is growing at a rapid pace, and you know, farming is at the heartland of feeding this this economy and this you know the the food of the the, the people of the world. And some people don't even have any food to to to, you know, to eat and, and we come from such a country that is plentiful in its food and you're doing it in a way that is sustainable and you know, you're you're self-aware of the things that you are trying to do you mentioned earlier there was uh fuel food feed and fiber you know making sure that you've got all the four the four fours in your investment but also understanding other things that are outside the water conservation and or water rights how does that affect the investment you know drought which we didn't even get into but there's other things about you know germination of the soil and and how do you can have long-term crops and at the end of the day investing in this you know this hard asset this physical asset you know is 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 going to be here because you mentioned earlier like we've been farming for since the beginning of time right people have needed to eat and it will never go away so i think that's a really really incredible and i encourage people to get over to farmtogether.com to check out uh your stuff but did i leave anything out mate in that little summary i mean that was fantastic i wish we had more time and we can do another one in a few months i think we're gonna have to i think we're gonna have to do another one part two in six months and we'll dive even deeper but mate again thank you so much enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch up very very soon well, there you have it, another cracking episode jam packed with some incredible advice from Artem. Make sure you head over to farmtogether.com. Check out everything they're doing over there. It's a really incredible platform. If you have any interest in investing in farmland for the long-term future uh, to put your money to work and you know, be a really good tax haven uh, in and around being at a physical asset because it has the same benefits as real estate. So head over to farmtogether.com. Uh, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. And I want to thank you all again for taking some time to tune in each and every week to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Hold up. 